You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm chapter 23. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, My original intent was we were going to be leaning, or not leaning, we were going to start into the... uh, a three-week series on our the vision of our church, so who we are, what we're about, really where we're going. Um, and as I was, it's always as I was running, but as I was running, um, just felt really compelled to preach from Psalm 23 this morning. And so that's where we're going to be. And so, Father, we do, we just lift up our hearts to you this morning. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you that you are good and that you are with us and so jesus we do we lift up our souls our hearts our worries our fears our doubts our pain and we ask that you would meet us and that you would be with us in this time and so we lift all this up to you in jesus name amen so feel free to read along with me the words will be on the screen as i read out loud to you Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, sorry, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as I was preparing and thinking about this this passage, it's always funny because Psalm 23 is always kind of known as the psalm that is seen as the one that you read at every funeral. Like most pastors, when they don't really know the people, that's kind of their go-to sermon. They're like, all right, we're just going to go to Psalm 23 and kind of walk through it. But as you read it, and you know, or it's known as a psalm that people have gone to when they're having sleepless nights and they're wrestling over difficult situations and things like that. But I believe this psalm is about something much more, and it's a call to remember. Because this psalm is actually almost autobiographical of David's life, but in poetic form. On the Enneagram, I don't know what number I am. I kind of think I'm a four, cause I'm, but I also think I'm a three. So if you know what Enneagram number I am, feel free to share it with me. But I think David was for sure a four. Um, but David was calling us to remember that, that God is with you. And I think it's important for us to remember and know who it is that wrote this, this psalm, which I've already told you. His name is David. But David, is on, he's personally my, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And some of that may have to do with he, there's just a lot more information about him that comes out because there's a lot that's written about David. He becomes king and does all these different things. And he's pretty impressive when you look at his resume and you look at his accomplishments. And there's definitely a lot of them. 
Um, and this isn't all of them. So some of the things that he was known as a man that was after God's own heart, it says in the book of Acts. He wrote 73, 73 of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. which That's a lot. His are like kind of like the dark and like, that's why I think he's a four. But, um, which he almost wrote half. He defeated this giant Goliath. He was anointed to be king. He brought back the ark into Jerusalem. He fought the enemies of Israel. He was known as this great warrior throughout all the land. But David, so David had this side that was like, he was attractive and he was great and he was successful and he fit all these things. But he also has this very dark side of his story. He isn't just the golden child who doesn't know pain and suffering and everything is just handed to him. Because God said, you're my, you're, you have the same heart as me. So I'm just going to pour out my blessings on you. His life and his story is marked with tremendous pain. Things like rejection, betrayal, depression, exile, abuse, a really dysfunctional family, adultery, murder. I'm sure a lot of us can relate with some of the things that are going on on that list. And you're looking at that. And as you see that up on the screen, that's who David is. There's, he has this really great side of what he experienced in life and this really hard side that, of what he experienced in life. And so David's life was, it was marked by tremendous suffering, but also incredible difficulty. And the psalm shows us that God was with him both in the good and in the hard. Oftentimes we think God is with us when we're reading our Bibles and praying and serving and giving and, and doing devotions with our kids or feeding the poor or being brave on a difficult situation and, and sharing hard truths with someone that we love and care about or you know, be standing up for our faith at work. You know, Whatever it may be, those are the times we feel like God's with us. But the beauty of who God is is that he's with us regardless of how we're acting in the moment. Because a lot of times we think that he's not with us when we are driving and somebody flips us the middle finger while we're driving down the road because we're not going fast enough. And in your heart you're like, I kind of want to see them just like crash into that pole a little bit. None of you have ever had this thought, but you know, because you guys are very sanctified and good. Um, he isn't with us when we have an argument with our spouse. We all know that because that's a really fun time that everybody wants to be around when you're in the middle of a heated argument with your spouse. He's also not with you when you're battling severe depression and you're really struggling to understand your purpose and your value and your heart and the emotions you're trying to understand and feel in those moments. Or when you drop a cuss word at work or under your breath. God didn't see that because he doesn't want to. And it's silly, right? We know that. Of course he sees us in these moments. Of course he's with us in these moments. And it's honestly, it's important for us to realize this, that he's with us in the moments of great success, in the moments of great grief, in the moments where you're thriving, in the moments where you're, you feel like you're just surviving. Because the promise for a follower of Jesus is not a life without difficulty, 
where you are super successful financially. Your children are angels. You'll, they will never struggle or disappoint you, and you will never struggle and disappoint them. But instead, the promise of a, as a follower of Jesus is this, is that God is with you in the good, in the hard, and that we get to see that his love continues for us. And so my hope for you this morning is that whatever season you came into this room in, because maybe you're coming into this room and you're like, life's great. You know, we're just, we're hitting our financial goals. Our kids are doing great. Life feels good. I feel whole. I'm excited for where my career's at and what God's doing in my life and story in this moment. And maybe there's other, uh, others of you that are like, man, I'm just struggling. I'm just having a hard time. And the hard part is maybe you don't even know why you're struggling. Why you're feeling what you're feeling deep down in your heart. And I want you to know that God is with you in that. And so him being with us in the good and the seasons of good, whether that's health and wealth and flourishing relationships, it can be easy to simply go about life and be like, yeah, God's great. I love walking with Jesus because everything is just good. I see his hand. I see his blessing. And sometimes we forget where those blessings come from. And David starts our psalm this morning with this simple words. I'm sure some of you notice this. I keep referring back to like the New King James because that's how I memorized it when I was younger. But So that'll come out a little bit as I teach. But he starts it off and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. And I want to pause right there and, and allow ourselves to catch that. Then take note of what David is actually saying in here. He's saying that God is the shepherd. He is the sheep. So David himself is starting off by saying, hey, I'm not the main character. I'm not the main part of this story. And I think it's interesting that David uses sheep because sheep are not known for being strong. They're not known for being intelligent. And their intellect, like sheep, you really have to watch because if you just kind of leave them be, they're truly a, a defenseless animal. They're just known for their beauty and their soft wool. And I was actually reading about them as I was preparing, and one of the things that it said about them was that if they are attacked by an animal, if the wound isn't like fatal, which most of the time they are, it's like, let's say they get bit and they're able to run away. They will, a lot of times, die just a little bit later because of the sheer panic. Because they're such a, a docile and calm animal. So just the sheer panic will kill them. But this is what David chooses to compare himself to. This man that's killed thousands of people at war. Who's fought this giant and kills him with a slingshot when he's just a kid. This man that is the king of Israel who's brought the Ark of the Covenant and a picture of God's presence back into the city. A man that established a 24-7 prayer rhythm in the heart of Jerusalem. Making it so anyone could come to experience God. And what David is showing here is he's saying that God is the giver and we are the receiver. Jesus himself uses this imagery as well. In Matthew 9, he says, um, Matthew 9, verse 36, he says, When he saw the crowds, he being Jesus, he had compassion on them because he, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Jesus saw the people in his own day as he was doing ministry and walking around, and they looked aimless. And I think of how different our culture looks at people today. Very like, when's the last time you saw some like were walking with somebody and they looked out at someone and just had compassion on them? We're like, man, my heart for this person—they just look lost. Or is it more of like, gosh, that guy is such an idiot. They are making such bad choices. But Jesus saw them and he had compassion on them because he saw that they were sheep and they didn't have someone watching over their souls. He also says in John 21, in the process of restoring and commissioning Peter after the whole, you know, he denies Jesus three times at the crucifixion. He says to Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me? Well, then feed my lambs, care for my sheep, feed my sheep. This is the description of what a shepherd looks, does. He feeds and he cares for the flock. He tends for them. And the last one I want to point out, and it's going to be on the screen, it's from John 10, verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So Jesus is telling us, he's saying, hey, I am the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. They aren't just something to be managed or an issue to put up with or something that he's just kind of in charge of. But he knows them and cares for them and lives with them. When the wolf comes, he doesn't run and flee for his own life, but he's willing to. To fight that wolf to the death. He knows them and is willing to lay down his life for them. Which is why we're here this morning. To worship Jesus because he's laid down his life for us. But back to David though. If God is this good shepherd and if he is the giver and we are the receivers. Something that's important in this this thing is. What do we receive? What really are we getting? And David shares his experience with this shepherd that he's talking about, how God is his shepherd. He says, you know, I lack nothing. I rest in green pastures. I have restoration in my soul. It's this idea of creating a a space to become whole. It's not just rest and the idea of like, hey, I'm just going to lay down and watch Netflix for 12 hours. But then he says, I have confidence in the path that I'm walking. All of these things sound awesome. And I think any of us in this room would be like, yeah, I want that. I want restoration of my soul. I want a confidence in the road I'm going. I want to know I'm doing the right thing. Lacking nothing? That sounds really good. (laughs) Resting in green pastures? You bet. I would love to just lay in a big, lush, green field with a nice, cool, you know, the Boise River going by. But there's no bugs because there's always bugs in the green their green belts (laughs) and all these things sound awesome but i want to make sure we see how these things come together because a lot of times we come to church and we hear these messages about these things and it ends there it's like yes live your best life now but here's the thing those things aren't about us right now in this moment and we they're not things that we just try to attain on our own because listen it's because he is my shepherd is why i do not lack anything 
it's because he makes me lie down and rest in these green pastures. It's because he leads me to a place where I can have restoration of my soul. And it's because he guides me that I have confidence in my path that I'm walking in. David saw that the good that he had received ultimately came from him. And it's all because of him. It's all because of who God is and what God is doing and sharing with us in his word and in our hearts and in our stories. And when I reflect on my own life and story, I don't have the life I deserve. I believe that wholeheartedly. I have not earned the life that I live. Like when I think of the word grace, I do think of my life. And I try to remember this often because I, and when I say remember this, I'm trying to remember where I came from. And it's mainly on my father's side of, of the family. That's the really, really like, I call it the really colorful side. <laughs> uh, that's a nice way of saying really messy. But it's where the men are marked with addiction and abuse. Where the men are seen as these power-hungry and abusive and aggressive and hurtful men. I used to always have this joke. And my poor grandma, God rest her soul, but I would say it to her all the time. Or not to her, but I would say it in front of her where I was like, yeah, you know, if the Newton name had died off just a couple generations earlier, we would have, the world would probably be a little better place. And she would kind of laugh, but I don't think she appreciated it. And I, I say this because it's important for us to remember because I look at, there's nothing really special about me. And if you look at my story closely, I was headed in the same direction as the men before me. It was just a couple of years slower than them, thankfully. With drinking too much and doing lots of drugs and sleeping around and partying and fighting every chance I got. But it, and it was all that way until I heard about this God. This creator of the universe who wanted a relationship with me. And I remember sitting there in, in this church service and being like, I don't know why God wants a relationship with me. I don't even really want a relationship with me. And as they shared, they said, this, his name is Jesus. And honestly, in my own story, I'm blown away by the things that he's brought into my life. Because I couldn't have written or dreamed of a better story than what, the one I have. My wife, who's beautiful, both you know, physically, but also in spirit. My children, who fill our home with stories and laughing and singing and occasionally fighting. There's a lot of fighting. Friends who <laughs> see my faults and all, but continue to walk alongside me in love. Not just bringing criticism or trying to fix me but speaking God's love and God's grace and God's truth over me. And honestly, our sweet church, this is, you guys are something that I am super thankful for. Seeing how it's, it's gone and how it's grown slowly in both number and in depth. And I can look at my life and I can say that God has been good. And he's with you and he's with me in the good. But we also know that there's times of challenge. And so this idea of 
being God being with us in the hard or being in the challenging aspect. And David goes into what I would argue is this, the most famous line of this psalm where he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And I used to wonder, what's, what's like the historical like, story that goes behind this? Like, what's really going on here? What is the valley of the shadow of death? What is, is it an allegory? Is he referencing like, emotional or a spiritual struggle is he talking about like battling with an addiction you know is he wrestling in this way but as i was you know running this week and i was thinking about this and i need you guys to entertain my inner youth pastor for a few minutes so i'm going to ask you a couple of questions that i want you to answer but as i was thinking about it this week i think i figured it out and so there should be a picture on the screen it's been the background the whole time it just should be brought up to the front so what is it that's on the screen? What is that a picture of? You guys got to call it out. What? A valley. A valley. Yes. Good job. Yes. Question one. Kyle gets an A. All right. Question two. Two, not three. Where is this? How'd you know that? <laughs> oh, he put it up there. Okay. <laughs> Graham's cheating. He's making it easy for you guys. Okay, so here's a better question then. I'm throwing in a third question. This one's not in my notes, so Graham can't help you on this one. <laughs> Why is that, that valley significant? None of us know probably, right? You're like, Elah, I don't know. Treasure Valley is way cooler looking than that. <laughs> probably n none of us can place that but this is actually where David fought Goliath this is where the battle with David and Goliath happens it's in this valley where one hill is filled with God's people the Israelites and on another hill is filled with the Philistines and you got to remember there's thousands of people on both sides and they're ready to go to war like everybody's drawing their plans they're getting ready to go fight and David's this young you know probably teenage boy because it says he's a youth and so he's kind of there too and he kind of is going between his dad's house and the battle plan and trying to figure out what's going on and give his dad an update but both of them are preparing for war ready to fight until this one philistine sticks steps out and his name's goliath and he's standing at an impressive nine foot nine inches which i'm like that is insane that is a big boy. I played football against a guy that was a, a full foot taller than me, and I will just say it was not a good night. It was not a lot of fun. This guy is literally four feet taller than me, which I was like, man, that makes me feel so small. <laughs> He's only like probably like two feet taller than Kyle, though, so we're good. Um, <laughs> but it's in this valley that this story takes place. So on one side, the Philistines are battle-ready with their giant yelling and taunting and challenging them. And on the other side of the valley, Israel is cowering. They were ready to go until this guy steps out. It, it, it's like, hey, the whole thing's different now. Because they don't see a way forward. Their enemy's too big, too strong, too difficult. And they're like, man, who knows? Maybe this Goliath guy's got like his whole family of giants. There's no hope for them in this moment. But one day in this thing, so this is going on for 40 days. And it's the same thing, morning and night. Goliath's out there yelling. Israel's like, nah, we're not ready. 
But one day there's this difference in this valley. Same people, both sides of the valley. Everything's going on. And as, the, as Goliath's yelling in the morning, there's this boy. And as you're looking out over this valley, and you can just picture it in your mind, these two warring nations and this little boy is walking between in the battlefield. Crossing over from Israel's camp to the Philistine camp. And as he's walking along the way, there's this stream and he kneels down and picks up some stones. And all he has with him is this sling and a stick, like a walking stick. And this boy is heading to fight Goliath. And all of our common sense would be like, that is the stupidest plan ever. It's terrible. And when I read this passage, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I think it's pretty clear that David is that boy. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death because he's literally in a valley that is a battlefield that is about to be filled with nothing but death as he's marching up to an enemy that no one thought anyone could conquer. But he's got this confidence. And I believe it's referencing this moment as a young man, he walks on to battle this giant, not with incredible armor or fancy weapons, you know, and they try, they try to give him all this stuff to, to be ready. And he's like, yeah, you know, get this armor off me. This is, it just feels weird. And I can't really pick up these swords. I'm not strong enough. But he's like, I'm just going to go with my sling. It's like a slingshot. And he's literally walking between these two warring people in a valley that's about to be filled with death. And David, before he walks out in the middle of the battlefield, he talks with these soldiers. He talks with King Saul. He heard the mocking. He heard the disrespect. But he knew that God would be with him and give him victory because God had been with him and given him victory in the past. As he's talking to Saul, he says, I have slayed a lion that was after my sheep when I was a shepherd out in the field. I fought a bear and killed it. And I'm like, man, you are seriously tough. So when David hears this mocking, even though he's young, he knows that God is with him. And he remembers how God was with him in the past. past. And what stands out to me about this valley is that we can't picture it. it do, it's not this thing that we're like, oh yeah, that's where David fought Goliath. It looks so ordinary. It literally could be a picture from anywhere. When I first saw it, I was like, this looks like from where I'm from, up in Northern California, a little bit. And what I think is really important to us And what speaks to is this idea of God being with us in the hard things. He can be with us in the really large and difficult things. The Goliaths of our lives, if you want to you know, make that bad pastor pun. But of like depression and health struggles and, and ultimately death. Like we see that. Addiction. But it can also be in the ordinary things of life. 
struggling in a relationship. Struggling that you're not in a relationship. Struggling with your finances because your budget just feels tight. Struggling with your emotions and your current role in life. But David walks into a scary situation, but he walked into it with confidence because he knew that God was with him. And I wonder if we would take a moment and pause and ask ourselves to to pause and allow the Spirit to be present in those moments that we would sense that God is with us. Because the beauty of what Jesus is offering and what the gospel offers us, church, is that he's not standing saying, hey, figure it out. He's saying, hey, I want to go with you and be with you in it all. David's difficult circumstances weren't just battling a physical giant, but they were, it was also being hunted by the king after that, by Saul over jealousy and fear, betrayed by family and friends. But God had prepared, you know, and God had prepared a place for David before his enemies. He used to sit with the same king and eat in his home, and Saul continually tries to kill him. And eventually David is on the run, and David eventually loses his mind and goes and lives among the Philistines. David is amazing to read about because his life story is just pretty wild. But he's saying in this moment he can sit with confidence knowing that whatever is thrown his way, he knows he'll be okay because God is with him. Because God is the one protecting, sustaining, and caring for him. And I, the, what I really want for us this morning is that not to just be a motivational talk of like, believe, have faith, but to remember these things. So that as you walk out this week, and as you are faced with difficulty, whether you have a client or your boss or somebody calls you and starts tearing you up, or your spouse is criticizing you and it's driving you to the end of yourself, or your kids are just not listening and things are challenging at home, or there's an outside pressure that I am not mentioning, but you know what it is. The hope that we have is that his love continues. It isn't just about God giving us the good things we desire, the family, the career, the stuff. It also isn't just about God being with us in the, in the difficult but David ends with this, the psalm with this beautiful, sweet promise where he says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because David knew that God's love would follow him wherever he went because he knew his shepherd. He knew that his shepherd loved him and cared for him and walked with him and protected him, even in those really scary and big and challenging moments. That God had nothing but good for him. Do you know that this morning? That God has good for you. He's not a guru and he's not somebody that's just trying to life hack our lives to make us rest and and to live a more full life. But what God has for you is actually good for you and good for the world. This idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, it's a picture of God's presence never leaving him. It's saying to David that God will be with him forever. 
And he knew that God had been with him in the past and in the present. And he knew that God would be with him in the future. And what a hope we have in this church. That Jesus is doing that exact same thing still this morning. Because he is with you in your successes, in your failures, in the good and the bad, in the moments of doubt and fear and what can feel like insanity. He will always with you because his love continues.